Hello, EKN Nation. Welcome to another edition of the EKN Debrief. It is episode number 62, Wednesday, January the 29th. My name is Rob Howden, joined by David Cole, as this debrief does a deep dive into the most recent event that we headed to on the EKN Trackside Live Tour, the Rock Cup USA Challenge of the Americas Opener, rounds number one and two, Muscleman Honda Circuit in Tucson, Arizona. We'll jump into things momentarily. This week's show presented by Leading Edge Motorsports. Leading Edge Motorsports is the industry answer to winning in karting. At the helm is industry veteran Greg Bell, who has orchestrated the success of countless drivers dating back to the mid-1990s. Most recently, Greg and his Leading Edge Motorsports staff added Danny Formal to victories at both the Rock the Rio and Supercarts USA Super Nationals in Las Vegas. Leading Edge Motorsports is the West Coast dealer and factory team for IP karting, which manufactures the ultra-competitive Praga and Formula K kart brands. Visit LeadingEdgeMotorsports.com for more info or find them on Facebook and Instagram. At Leading Edge Motorsports, winning never gets old. All right, David Cole, you and I uh, hitting the, the airport on Thursday, last Thursday, getting away from the cold climbs of home to what was pretty much anywhere between a 30 and no, pardon me. I'm going to say 40 and 50 degree change because when I got into the, the uh, in my in my car at 3:30 in the morning on uh, on Thursday morning to go to the airport, it was 24 degrees and it was what 72 one of the days in Tucson. I was happy with that. Yeah, close to a 50 degree uh, change Swing. in weather. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was a very much welcome trip out west to the Challenge of the Americas uh, for us and not only for us, but for everybody out there, because it's yeah. kicked off uh, essentially the 2020 season for a majority of the people who were there. Yeah. The West coast drivers, obviously their first event, you know, the East coasters have had a couple already uh, in Florida, but the first West coast event in, in Arizona, your first chance to, uh, to break out the shorts too, Dave, you, even though we had like 50 degrees when we got to the track, you were full David Cole. You were going shorts all day long. I was lucky I was wearing a jacket. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's warm weather. I mean, come on now. If there wasn't a yeah. wind, I probably would have gone jacketless, but uh, a little <laughs> bit of a wind. And that was one thing that was good about the weekend weather-wise. You know, as we said, uh, you know, it was perfect Arizona weather with 70 degrees. Uh, and then as, once the sun starts going down, it chills out a little bit. But uh, there wasn't too much wind. We had a couple gusts, I think, maybe that kind of caught our attention. But uh Nothing out of the ordinary uh, that would scare us or or take away tents uh, that we have typically yeah, seen yeah. Uh, in Tucson. <laughs> so uh, overall, just perfect weather uh, to be, to be uh, at the racetrack. Yeah, I didn't have to make that uh, semi regular announcement on the PA to batten down the hatches. Right, there was, there was no big wind coming in. You look back out of the tower and we see tents flying. So you're right; it was more light breeze. Uh, Challenge of the Americas, the opening two rounds of the 2020 season at Tucson. We'll go to Cal Speed in February and then Sonoma in March. But, David, uh, the, the Challenge of the Americas kicking off their 13th season, third season running the Rock Cup USA program on the Vortex Power Plants. Eighth time that the program has visited the Muscleman Honda Circuit in Tucson. Great, great track, 12 turns, eight-tenths of a mile. We, run it in the counter, we, we ran it in the counterclockwise direction, which has been done the other way as well. Uh, the track is a replica of the Suzuka circuit in Japan. And uh, David, again, we in the Outlap podcast, we did the preview before the weekend. We talked about how we knew going there there was going to be great racing because the, the track, just the layout, the way it's designed, it's fast. 
there was just so it was overtaking what one, two, four, five, nine, and eleven, and maybe twelve as well. Over under, it was the track just races so well. Yeah, don't forget turn three. Uh, guys get a little crazy going through two, so you get a little switch back there. And, yeah, true. And then again, again, anytime through the S's, and you, if you can poke a nose in there, you might get a little get get through one of the corners that might not necessarily be a high percentage uh, maneuver, but uh, it can be done. But yeah, any corner really there was a passing opportunity, as we as we said in our outlap heading into the weekend and. And the uh, over 100 entries proved that uh, throughout the weekend in all the different categories. Yeah, one of the things, uh, a change, we talked about this in the preview podcast, was the fact that uh, Tucson being moved back to the first race of the year. Last year, it was the second race of the year. Um, so let's jump into the by the number segment of this debrief. Um, 2019, 96 entries. It was a bit of a drop from Cal Speed to Tucson. Uh, but the program, even obviously some issues with, a number of people would have been there, except for they were at the Rolex 24, the, the race in conflict with the Rolex. And, of course, that's not something you have to always consider because we know in the karting schedules of the, of, you know, of, of North America and in the U.S. in particular, it, you've got enough conflicts with just the racing that's happening everywhere else. Not so much racing, of course, on the West Coast in, you know, in, in January and February, but conflicts are, are going to happen. The event lost a number of, of racers simply because – a bunch of people were actually racing at the Rolex 24. 96 entries last year, David. 107 entries this year. So 10% growth from, from last year to this year for the Tucson round, which I think, you know, and, and Andy Saisman, the promoter of the program, has always said, we, we've talked about it, 10% growth is what he wants. If you can keep 10% growth, you're going to, you know, eventually you're going to be at 180 to 200 entries, which would be great for the program. But, but really for, for, for the event at Tucson, from 96 to 107, that's a solid move. Yeah, and not forget, don't forget that last year's event was in March as well, too. And, and when you get into March, it's a that's little true. bit different uh, compared to January. And again, also, the, the facility doesn't necessarily have a, a club program uh, that, that, that we're able to draw in entries from. So all of these entries are from out of the Tucson, outside the Tucson area. Uh, Phoenix. Oh, outside the state. And well, so the state there, too, but there's be, people. There were some Arizona yeah, guys, Arizona yeah. drivers that that come down from from Phoenix uh, and elsewhere. But uh, yeah, f- everywhere else, it, or, uh, all the other entries are from out of state, and uh, and so that you know a lot of different factors go, go into into the numbers. But uh, again, people want to get back to racing, and and the challenge in America is a great way to do that. And you know, as as we said, numbers wise, it's a it's a growth. Um, you know, and again, we had graduating drivers. So we had drivers going from the cadet level up to junior, junior drivers going up to senior. So you always have that kind of shift because if you see in the, in the, yeah. in the shifter categories, they were very similar to where they were at last year. So you're always going to have that mixture of, of change. But the good, but the good thing of the growth part of it was in the 100 CC categories. So that that adds to the numbers and. And again, numbers breed numbers. So as long as the numbers keep going up, it's going to bring in more and more. And we know that because of the locations of the last two events being in, in Southern California, Northern California, it's going to just automatically draw your, your 10 to 20 extra entries on top of what we had in Tucson. Yeah, let's go through the numbers a little bit here. Micro Rock from four last year down to three this year. It's obviously the very kind of entry into the Rock program. Mini Rock was 11 last year. Some some good Mini Rock entries down to just four this year. But as David mentioned, there's a bunch of cadet drivers moved up. 
and not surprising, Rock Junior Rock goes from 10 up to 16. So essentially the same amount there total. Senior Rock actually dropped from 16 down to 9. But that interest was the fact that a lot of guys from the junior class, instead of going into senior, moved right to the senior shifter category. Because in shifter, we went from 16 up to 18. Uh, and in the shifter masters rock, as David said, 14 up to 17, 35 shifters in total part of the program. Uh, I think a number of drivers potentially moving over to the hundred CC class too, because we had 15 and hundred CC senior up from nine massive growth in the masters class. We wanted the one driver last year, Jimmy Gregory, seven drivers in total running, uh, on the weekend in masters. And of course, hundred CC junior was new this year, four drivers in the junior category. We're going to see more growth as that season goes along. And then Masters Rock, very similar, 15 last year, 14 this year. So, David, as you said, ebbs and flows of kind of where the driver ages come in. You know, you'll get a lot of guys graduating out of one class, like we saw in Mini Rock, and that kind of pumped things up in Junior Rock. But that's just that's just part and parcel of what we see every year, depending on where those age groups are in any, in any series. I think the key factor, and I know Andy will probably look into this when he when he divulges his uh, his data, is the number of new drivers that were at the series because yeah. uh, that's what the 100cc program did. That's where we saw the boost in the senior 100cc. Is a lot of those a majority of those drivers had never been to the challenge before. Uh, the junior drivers, I don't think. Uh, I think uh, three of the four were brand new to the program, and then you add in the new master drivers that were there as well. So. Um, again, and then one of the other no, uh, notable facts that you, I believe announced and uh, talked about during, uh, the event was the senior rock or shifter senior rock division. A number of the contenders that were there last year were not in Tucson. So, you know, again, if they come back to either work Cal speed or at Sonoma, that's going to even bring the numbers up even more there, adding to the number of junior drivers that graduated to that category that are that are racing in that division, plus the new drivers who are just part of that class to begin with. So just a lot of different uh, scenarios going into, yeah. into how the numbers un- unfold themselves. All in all, though, 10% growth, and that's the key to any program, 107 entries total. I would expect they'll be over 120. I think it's going to be easy to, to top. It's Cal Speed could be 130. And again, talk of potentially 150 when they get to Sonoma in late March. Folks, stay with us. We're just getting things underway here on episode 62 of the EKN Debrief. Uh, David and I going over the Rock Cup USA Challenge of the Americas opener from Tucson. Acceleration Kart Racing is your first and only stop on the internet for carts, parts, and safety gear to get you on the track. ShopAKRA.com offers a great selection of karting equipment on a user-friendly website. Acceleration Kart Racing has aligned itself with many of the top manufacturers and distributors in the sport to ensure that all the latest equipment is available to you, the consumer. With customer support available six days a week, you can be confident about getting the right parts at the right price. Be sure to visit shopakra.com today or stop by their headquarters in Las Vegas. Also, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest specials, clearance items, and new products. Two thousand nineteen was a great year, no question. But the off season is here, and I know that your mind is already thinking about next season. We all want to get better and improve our skills and our racecraft. 
and maybe you're tired of missing the podium or even the championship. So what do you do? Here's what I think. Take a breather from throwing money at the newest speed secret and a new chassis you don't quite need yet. Invest in yourself. Take yourself to the next level as a driver. If you want to improve your results, do what every athlete does, regardless of the sport. Get professional coaching. And in karting, there's only one choice. The Alan Rudolph Racing Academy, located at the state-of-the-art Speed Sports Racing Park in Houston. Alan Rudolph is a legend in our sport, and he's been a coach for over 15 years. The Alan Rudolph Racing Academy offers custom coaching programs for newcomers and experienced racers alike. Train with a champion with over 30 years of racing experience to get proven results. Get ready for 2020 by calling 866-607-7223 or head to speedsportsracingpark.com to learn more. Welcome back to the EKN Radio Network. Rob Howard alongside David Cole, episode 62 of the EKN Debrief as we have a look at uh, the event we were just at, the Challenge of the Americas opener in Tucson. Jumping into the Paddock Pass, a couple of little things to talk about. Today's Paddock Pass presented by Stilo USA. As a world leader in in personal racing safety products, Simpson Performance Products is now the official North American distributor for Stilo helmets. In addition to their popular auto racing helmets, Stilo is excited to have made the move into karting. Stilo has two helmets designed and manufactured specifically for karting. The ST5 CMR 2016 for kids and the ST5 Kart Snell K 2015 adult karting helmet. For more information, check them out at www.simpsonperformanceproducts.com slash Stilo or by following them on social media at Stilo USA. All right, David, let's jump into the paddock pass. You got four bits of bits down here on the script. Let's uh, let's hit it. Well, just overall, it was great to be back with Challenging the Americas, uh, the family that we've uh, been a part of now for the ninth season. Uh, it's our it's our West Coast family. It's uh, the the, yeah. the 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 people we get to see uh, to begin a new season. That's always a, a fun uh, thing to do, and uh, the staff is essentially the same. Uh, as it has been the last couple of years, but they've added a new member with uh, Tyler Brooks now uh, as a assistant race director. So he was kind of there uh, working alongside uh, Mark Michione and and Taylor uh, Jocelyn and uh, Angel Mata. So uh, getting getting his uh, wings and getting some of his uh, <laughs> um, um, rookie uh, scenarios <laughs> covered and uh, and taken care of. Pulling off, pulling yeah, off the rookie pulling stripe. Off the rookie stripe as a, as an official. Uh, now he's done it before. Again, we've we've talked about that, but this was his first weekend with the challenge crew. Yeah, yeah, and I thought he did a great job. And again, you know, we do get a chance up at the tower where we are to uh, hear some of the chatter back and forth, what goes on, and uh, and it's interesting, you know. When you're a racer or you're a dad or a mechanic on the sideline, you don't get to hear that. So, you know, you see people up in the air when something happens on the racetrack, contact, whatever. And, of course, they got throwing their hands in there and screaming and yelling like, hey, do something about this. Well, stuff happens. We hear the chatter coming on the radio. They're immediately talking about it. They make their decisions pretty quickly. They had some video that they were playing with as well, just using iPhone videos. I thought everybody did a great job. And, and David, you know, you and I could both hear it. There's no lack of, of communication in Tyler fitting in very easily with with Mark and Taylor and Angel. Yeah, I think I think it helps to know everybody that is already in the staff. Of course, yeah. him being a former racer, so he knows how uh, the, the challenge works. He, he's 
very into uh, what the rules are and 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 how to address situ- certain situations. So yeah, it was a good ebb and flow between uh, between the crew. Paddock wise, one of the interesting things, and it was a bit of a change for this particular weekend because r- right as you come out of the gr- out of the uh, the grid area. Full throttle karting set up there as usual. They've got their big container with all the tires and everything for, for the event. There actually weren't any drivers under the full throttle karting tent this particular weekend. Normally, we see a handful of guys there, and we probably will for Cal Speed and Sonoma. But, David, it really was the first opportunity for Andy Saisman's company, Full Throttle Karting, the shop based in Orange, California, to act as the Rock Cup USA Western distributor. Of course, trackside uh, with, the, with, the, with the challenge, a new trailer, a lot more cabinets just all, because it was essentially filled with Vortex uh, components, all the parts that everybody would need. There was people from Rock Cup USA and Vortex, and, you know, obviously their uh, representatives to help Andy. They got the trailer all set up. Uh, Eric Thompson's was in there running the program. Really a first opportunity for them to to flex their muscles as the, the West, you know, the Western distributor for the product line. Yeah, not only flex your their muscles, but to, to kind of get in a feel for the order of how things are going to unfold uh, yeah. moving forward because it's a completely different ball game. Uh, figuring out where all the parts are going to be at, the labeling, labeling all where all the parts are going to go. Uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, nuts and bolts type of work, but uh, in a different scenario because they're all brand new parts. Um, so, uh, and then, uh, and then all the billing afterwards as well. So, um, lots of, uh, yeah, a, a different feel uh, under the FTK tent uh, this weekend, something that was unusual, but uh, is it, something that Andy is very excited about, uh, you know, making sure all the customers and dealers have all the parts that they need right when they need them. Indeed. And David, as we continue with the paddock pass here, kind of look uh, inside the paddock as opposed to what's happening on track. This is kind of on track, but it's not really. Let's look at the grids. You mentioned it already. The debut weekend for a bunch of junior drivers jumping up into shifter senior. And it's interesting because that's not maybe what we would have saw a year or two ago. A lot of the juniors may have jumped up into the senior rock category, but a lot of guys excited about going shifter cart racing again. William Ferguson, one of the drivers jumping up. A bunch of the juniors moving into the senior category, which I, senior shifter category, which I thought was exciting. Well, it's kind of the numbers breed numbers, as, as we said in the previous segment. And the shifter numbers in the Rock Cup USA program is growing and growing, as we saw at the Rock Cup USA uh, Rock the Rio. I think they had over 40 senior shifter drivers there, I think over 30 in the master's category. So numbers are breeding numbers, and people are seeing that. And, you know, Florida Winter Tour is having the same success as well in the shifter category. So it's it's kind of you know, opening the eyes a little bit to, to some of the younger racers like, oh, there is another different direction I can go instead of into senior <laughs> rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And I, we, we mentioned about the, fa- the fact that the cadets moving up into the junior class as well. And they looked actually pretty good, David, coming out of the gate. Some of those young drivers like Enzo Delini coming out of many moving into the junior categories this weekend. Yeah, that's always uh, a great thing about the winter programs is seeing the the, the fresh meat the young, uh, the young guns <laughs> moving <meat>. up, <laughs> the young guns moving up into the, to the full size carts, because again, you know, it, it, some drivers, it takes time. We've yeah. seen drivers where it takes two years before they get acclimated to, uh, to driving and racing a full size cart, because there's a difference again, between driving it and racing it, because, uh, you can be quick right away, but, uh, can you race against, uh, all the others in, uh, in the full size cart? So, uh, it, it'll still be going on in Cal Speed. We'll still be uh, seeing how the the, jun- the young junior rookies uh, 
adapt, but uh, right away they were uh, quick out the gate. Uh, I agree. And, and, and just talking about the racing itself uh, and how those cadets moving up to junior, they, they raced, raced really well. Overall, David, a pretty clean weekend, I thought, in terms of racing. No red flags, which we always kind of wait till the very end to talk about. Not one red flag on the weekend. Uh, if, am, I, am I correct? It, it was the first year for challenge for the pushback bumper. Is that, is that correct? Yes, I was just going to yeah. mention that about the, that. with the uh, clean racing. Yeah, it was the first event that they have uh, instituted the pushback bumper. So this is the first year that they're going to be doing that. Um, a few penalties here and there, not too many. But uh, again, it's uh, it's another it's it's kind of the thing where everybody's doing it. So we're going to jump on board with it and move along with it. And thankfully, the staff that they have uh, in place with the challenge is already familiar with how pushback systems work and including not only the tech people, but uh, um, the post race people who are there in scales and, and the officials who are on track. They've all worked with it. They've all raced with it <laughs> in, in all honesty. So uh, it's 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 not a big jump for them to include it. It was just something they didn't feel they needed to do un, until this point where now the yeah. carts are coming over with the pushback systems on them already. So it's almost kind of a hassle to go and, and, and go without it. Um, so um, it's it, it for the first event. It was a clean transition. Uh, and yeah, over like I said, overall, I thought the racing was good. You you bring you bring the pushback bumpers in as well. Like, again, people talk back again about uh, you go back five, six, seven, eight years without it, and some of the wrecks we had. The turn we we used to have a lot of turn one wrecks at, at Tucson as well because it's such a wide corner. Guys would power their way in there. We had some really good starts. A couple of minor issues here, but it wasn't guys plowing in and getting driving over top of anybody. We just really didn't have it. I think the racing's a lot cleaner. I will say this right now, and and I know people don't like the pushback because there's obviously other issues on it on the other side, but it has made the racing cleaner. And, and overall, I thought the racing was pretty clean. A, a number of pushback activations. We got pushback penalties. Some avoidable contact. I, another one, David, we saw quite a bit was was uh, they really were enforcing the start line. Uh, that the fact that the pole sitter had to come across the line first. There was a number of penalties where the outside line was maybe trying to get that jump, and they actually got docked some time because they, they crossed the line before the pole sitter. Well, not only that, but also two wheels or even four wheels yeah. out of out of the, the, the tram line uh, at one point uh, in, in one of the senior 100cc races. So, uh, yeah, they're uh, again, they want to make sure the starts are clean. Everybody's where they're supposed to be. They want to make sure the pole position guy is is the guy leading the field and not the off pole. Uh, so, again, all those different things. I think the punch off, they, don't, they technically really didn't really have a punch off zone. Uh, just kind of, you know, played it by ear and, and made sure the pole sitter uh, set the pace. Yeah, I thought they did a great job for all the starts. I said some minor issues here and there, but I thought thought uh, Casey Cook on the flags and it was it was it was solid. All right, folks, we've wrapped up the Paddock Pass brought to you by Stilo USA after this break. David and I are going to come back. Time to jump into the race report and start talking about actually what happened on track. If the dream is IndyCar, set your target on the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires. Our ladder system is designed to take drivers through three rungs of competition. The first step is the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship, which features a carbon tub Tatus chassis, 180 horsepower, and a paddle shift sequential gearbox. Boost the USF 2000's output to 280 horsepower for the Indy Pro 2000 program, the second rung on the road to Indy. 
Add in increased grip and aero downforce, and the Tatus PM18 becomes an incredible training machine. The final step before IndyCar is the Indy Lights Championship presented by Cooper Tires. The Dallara IL15 boasts a whopping 450 horsepower. This car itself has helped train a third of the grid expected for the 2020 IndyCar Series. At all three levels, you race at premier venues on the same dance card as IndyCar. Showcase your skills under the watchful eyes of IndyCar scouts and owners. Former carters fill the roster of Road to Indy graduates in IndyCar, like Joseph Newgarden, Pato Award, Connor Daly, Zach Beach, Jack Harvey, Felix Rosenquist, Colton Herta, Charlie Kimball, Renus VK, and 2019 Indy Lights champion Oliver Askew. Racing karting graduates like Kyle Kirkwood and Braden Eves are in the middle of their journeys right now as well. Follow in their footsteps. If you want to race IndyCar, there is only one choice. The Road to Indy, presented by Cooper Tires. Winning takes top quality equipment, flawless preparation, experienced coaching, and passion. And at Team GFC, we live our passion. Team GFC is focused on 2020, and we're set to make our debut at the Rock Cup USA Florida Winter Tour in the East and return for more victories at the Challenge of the Americas in the West. We have arrive and drive packages available for all categories, including the mini and micro classes, utilizing our all-new GFC RR5 Cadet chassis, which made its debut at the Scusa Super Nationals. Join Gary Carlton and his passionate team in either of these popular winter programs to kick off the 2020 season on a winning note. Team GFC is extremely excited about launching its new Team GFC Young Driver Development Program. Learn from one of the best American carters with over 25 years racing at the highest levels of the sport, offering personalized training on and off the track. Follow GFC Karting on Facebook and Instagram or click over to gfccarting.com to learn more about joining Team GFC in 2020. GFC, live your passion. Welcome back to the EKN Radio Network, episode number 62 of the EKN Debrief as we review the opening round of the Challenge of the Americas from Muscleman Honda Circuit in Tucson, Arizona. Time to jump into the race report, which is presented today by Rawlson Performance Group. At the Rawlson Performance Group, we strive for ultimate success. We're more than just an arrive-and-drive race team with countless wins on the national regional level. Our focus is on complete driver development, and that's where the success is fueled. We combine one-on-one coaching, on-track instruction, and intensive data debriefing with unparalleled cart and engine prep. Our program will help you raise your game, and we'll take you to the next level. If that's your goal, RPG needs to be your next move. All right, David, let's jump into the race report here now. Uh, Again, with the big numbers, some super exciting racing. Senior shift to rock out of the gate. You know, who's going to be quick? We'll see what happens. Well, from the very get-go, I think Hunter Pickett showed us that uh, he likes Tucson, he likes the GFC chassis, and he was absolutely on his game because Hunter Pickett really dominated the weekend. Yeah, we expected to see uh, some good racing. We did see some good racing. Unfortunately, it wasn't for the victory because Hunter Pickett essentially dominated the weekend, uh, leading from, I believe, he had fast time even on Friday's uh, pre-qualifying session all the way through the final checkered flag on Sunday. Here's one thing I think is interesting. I kind of obviously played the Hunter getting on the pole. Uh, For the starts, they didn't actually have a parallel start 
for each row, row one, row two, row three. Every row was staggered, right? So there's one staggered back to the outside pole, staggered back to three. So it was all staggered back. So no one, you know, with, with the hunter getting off the line pretty, pretty well each time, um, he was never really challenged in turn number one. And the way the racetrack kind of plays out with one and the people stacking up in one, and then he's the first guy through turn number two, three, that the right left combination. And then guys thinking about it there. And then same thing, guys diving down into each other into four. I want to say in almost every race, he probably he probably had a, a one to one second lead or one and a half second lead the very first lap. He used that starting spot and the staggered grid absolutely to perfection to be able to pull away. And if I recall correctly, the reason they they actually brought all the drivers over and talked about how the starting procedure. And I think it's because of the way the lines were painted on the racetrack. And again, it's the, the track who's done it. Uh, they're a little bit too close front to back. And so I think that's the reason why we have that stagger start format. And, and I think they're going to continue that because that's one of the things they want it to be a consistent uh, format throughout the event. So I think they're going to keep doing that throughout the year. So we'll see uh, how they do that at Cal speed, uh, depending on uh, how the lanes and, uh, and grid spots are painted there. But, uh, but yeah, to, you still got to get off the, off the grid uh, in order to retain that pull position. And Hunter was able to do that. So uh, kudos to him for for getting the launches every t- every single time for all yeah. the prefinals and finals. Uh, and again, so uh, he never put a wheel wrong wheel wrong all weekend long. He uh, dominated the day both Saturday and Sunday, but we'll start with Saturday. Qualified on pole, uh, ended up going to the prefinal victory. But it was his young teammate Cole Shade who actually put a ton of pressure on early. There were times where he was right there with Pickett, but in the end, in that main event, they essentially checked out uh, in the in the twenty two lap around Saturday. Pickett got the win. Cole Shade was close uh, for a GFC one two. My thought is it was kind of playing out because remember we kind of saw that battle going on uh, for the third position with Race Liberante. Who else? Who was Race? Why did I top my? Head? Who was Race battling with? It wasn't Keontana at that point. Was it? Was it Colton Griffin? He was fighting with. Um, I'm bl- I'm blanking. If, right if now. I recall, yeah, there it it, it was Tandy because for it was a, a while, fight. and then yeah, Colton Griffin was in there as well, and I think Bailey was Maybe coming it- his way through. Well, maybe it was, it was Liberante and, T- and Tandon then. Yeah. Liberante was battling. And remember, it was one of those deals where I want to say, I want to say it was Colton Griffin, but it was a deal where, and it's the, the thing about Tucson and that racetrack, the minute you start to go on the defense, everybody closes back up. And it, and it would look like it was going to be a battle for third. Bailey was back. He was a second back with probably three laps, two, three laps to go. They started fighting. Cole gets into the scrap, and then that big run down the back straight on the final lap. Liberati tried the inside. I want to say there was an over-under. And then Cole Bailey somehow was able to – he made a big sweep. It went way wide on the entry to turn number 11, which is a left-hander, the left uh, at the end of the straightaway. Back up the hill into two. It's not a huge hill. Back up hill into 12, rather, the final corner. And somehow he's able to roll around the outside and coming out of 12, David, side-by-side side with Liberati on the drag race to the line. There's literally contact. There's tire smoke. It's full on last lap NASCAR stuff. Uh, and when they come across the line, Cole Bailey ends up getting the win. Keon Tandon then able to jump ahead of Liberante by I think it was two thousandths of a second at the line. Wild finish for sure. That's exactly what happened. And again, when you come out, out of the, that last corner, it's almost a race to the exit point of that corner. Yeah. Because you know if you get to the exit point first, you're going to be able to get to the line first. And again, as you said, uh, Cole Bailey was able to get there first. And actually, yeah, it was he edged out uh, 
Tandon at the line by two hundredths of a second, and then two thousandths of a second back was was Liberante <laughs> stuck in the middle between the two of them because again Tandon went inside for a three wide finish. Yeah, the over under trying to come out at twelve. It was a wild finish for sure, and and, and the cool thing is is that the senior shifter class, David, was the last race of the day. So it was one of those deals where we had an awesome day of racing. You put the exclamation point on this smoking finish to the line. Everybody was pumped up afterwards when we went to the uh, the podium. But hey, for for GFC for Gary Carlton's program to come out of the box here on the West Coast for to start twenty twenty, obviously big smiles for everybody there. They overall had a really good weekend. We'll talk more about the other success that they had, but or speed that they had. But uh, that's a, you know, David for any for any team to be able to sweep a shifter class like that with eighteen guys. That that's a really strong outing, and I know all all of them are pretty pumped up and motivated going into Sunday. Yeah, a very great way to start the year and a great way to start the championship, uh, having the top three spots on the podium for the first round. Yeah, let's let's go to Sunday right now. And and Hunter Pickett didn't let lift off the throttle at all. Qualified on pole again, uh, able to win the pre-final. The main event was a little bit different, David, because you know Colshade didn't quite qualify as well, didn't do as well in the in the pre-final. Kind of shook things up. It was really interesting because guy, the pre-final was a wild finish for second. Uh, in that again, last lap kind of battle. William Ferguson does an over under when the, there was a battle in front of him, and he ends up finishing second in the pre-final, which puts him on the outside of the front row. Jake French, who struggled a little bit early in the weekend, had a flat tire on, on uh, I think on Saturday, had a flat tire in the pre-final. Anyways, he starts third. Out of the gate, gate drop, boom, away we go. Uh, Pickett's gone. <laughs> William Ferguson, from, from the off pole, slots into the second spot, and he's got Jake French, one of the, you know, obviously one of the top shifter car drivers in the country behind him on the Burrell Art Machine, and and William went on full defense mode to try to hold that spot, right? He, here he is in his essentially debut weekend driving a shifter, last year's junior rock champion. He's got French behind him, running the inside blocking line, you know, the inside defensive line everywhere. And David had probably stacked, what, 12 or 13 carts up behind him. And I, I, we talked to William about this, and we talked to, to Jake about this afterwards. If, it, if that's a, a, a big national race, uh, you know, Jake probably gives him a little bump and run to move by him, right? And then, of course, he's gonna then William's gonna struggle a bit and get because everybody's gonna dive on him. But I thought Jake raced him really clean. I think he he's, he realized the situation. Let's not wreck any equipment. Jake stayed, stuck right there with him. But that battle for the first couple of laps, they dude, they were lined up behind William. Yeah, but to his credit, uh, Ferguson was quick to, uh, after yep. those those first initial opening laps. So again, that's it. It's it's. Yeah. And that's one of the key things about uh, a pro driver from semi-pro is being able to handle the cart on those cold tires. And that, you know, Pickett's getting obviously better and better as he as he moves along with that uh, scenario. Obviously, working with Gary Carlton, one of the best to do it on cold tires. But again, you know, see Ryan Norberg is the same thing in in uh, senior racing as well. So Agreed. it's always Agreed. it's always being able to run quick on cold tires. And and again, Ferguson was the second quickest. Uh, cart out on the track uh, as the race progressed and and uh, was able to keep himself in that position and Frank and French you know to his credit drove a smart race let's say let's not wreck early and and see what we can do and just didn't quite have the pace uh, in the second half of the race. David you've been doing this for 15 years now and you can go back to watch what Gary Carlton used to do he would get off the off the line It'd be within two laps on cold tires. He'd have a two second lead and he'd carry that two second lead for the rest of the race. Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't overdrive the cart. It was like, I got my lead. It's all I need. 
and he would hold that. We saw that so many times from Gary's. But, yeah, you're right. William just needed to get through those couple of laps, I think, for the tires to come up to temperature where, where he, he could go to work. It's not like he didn't he didn't have the pace. It's just the opening laps. He wanted to make sure he wasn't getting pushed backwards at all. And uh, a defensive run ended up paying off for him. He gets a great second-place finish. We talked to William afterwards, and, of course, he's working with Austin Elliott and Speed Sense Motorsports. And uh, it was cool to see William afterwards pretty pumped. Uh, I'm sure that's going to motivate him going to the next race when we head to Cal Speed in February. But a great job for him on the podium uh, in second. Jake French ends up in third, as you said. Uh, Cole Shade, another good run for Cole, so a second and a fourth for Cole Shade. He's right there in the championship fight. And Colton Griffin, good to see him coming back in the Tony cart. Uh, and, and he was strong. All, he was actually in the top five all weekend long. I think ended up uh, P5 at the end of that one. But David Pickett never put a wheel wrong. Absolutely perfect. Leaves there with a point lead, and he's got he's got to have a ton of momentum and confidence heading to Cal Speed in uh, in February. Yeah, very impressive uh, performances all around. You know, Pickett sweeping the weekend. Ferguson a great uh, debut in the shift rock category. Uh, a great uh, boost of uh, kind of almost a breakout performance for Cole Shade because he hadn't quite yeah. been able to do this at the at the Challenge in the Americas. And then for, as you said, Colton Griffin to come back and, and out of, I think it was two years out of the seat to be able to come back and be top five all weekend long, essentially. Uh, very strong showing for him. Two great uh, grids in both the senior and master's category. Master's put on a really good show as well. Uh, out of the gate, it was interesting. Ron White racing driver Kevin Woods and the CRG really kind of was the man to beat all day on Saturday. David qualified on the pole position, uh, ends up winning the pre-foul. Now in qualifying, let's, let's be real, top three drivers separated by just nine hundredths of a second. So it's not like Woods dominated qualifying, but he won the he won the pre-final. And did he... I can't remember if he whole shot it in the final or not, but he, he, dude, he ended up walking away and, and getting the win. He really was the man to beat all day long on Saturday. I was really impressed. Kevin come out, of, come out of the gate strong to potentially put him into a fight for a championship. Well, it was actually Nick George who was able to jump out uh, quickly uh, in the main event, uh, get out to an early lead, and then Woods eventually took over the position and drove off uh, to gain the checkered flag. Um, so it's... Um, it was, uh, it wasn't, yeah, it was probably more competitive than what we saw, obviously, in Rock, uh, Shifter Rock, or Shifter Senior Rock. Uh, I can't keep confu- confusing names. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the category, this category was certainly more competitive at the front, uh, because as you said, Woods was, was, was able to get a sweep on the day, but it was certainly challenged every, even in the pre-final and especially in the final, because he had Nick George all over him. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah, he didn't get off the. That's it's coming again. Every time we do this, it kind of comes back to you, right? Because there's so much racing we follow. I believe he he, he had trouble getting off the line. It didn't actually stall it, but didn't get a good jump. And then I think just got rolled, and then didn't quite get in the second that well. And that allowed George to get out front in the Illuminos. And then of course Woods at that point, I think he went back to third or fourth, but then fought himself uh, back up to position. Uh, Woods ends up getting the victory, as David said. Uh, Nick George held on for the second spot. In fact, it was Illuminos in second and third because Jimmy McNeil came from, I think, about seventh or eighth on the grid and worked his way up uh, into the uh, the third spot. Nick Firestone, uh, another one of the GFC drivers, pretty strong, ends up P4. But, Dave, talk a little bit about Mike Jones and the Sodi cart because it was not an easy day for Mike. It was not an easy weekend, period. Uh, even right. on Saturday. Saturday had a, a DNF in the pre-final. I, I, I don't recall exactly what happened on Saturday. I do recall what happened on Sunday. 
But uh, yeah, Jones had to start the main event uh, from. Oh, he stalled on the pre-final clutch. Yeah, he stalled on the yeah, pre-final. Stalled on the pre-final. He so started the, basically at towards the back. I want to say he had a clutch yep. issue. I think there was something going on with the clutch, right? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, coming from the back, uh, drove his way, recorded fast lap of the main event, was able to to get up to the fifth spot. So he. He's he always he's always quick there, but always seems to find trouble uh, when he's in Tucson. Yeah. So the interesting thing was, you know, we wrap up the day Saturday, you roll into Sunday, qualifying, and you're going to expect some of the some of the same guys to be up front. That's just the way it rolls, right? Pickett was P one in in both qualifying sessions. Kevin Woods didn't quite have the pace on in, in qualifying. I don't have it in front of me, Dave, but I want to say he was like seventh or something like that in qualifying. It was actually Nick Firestone on the GFC. They did a lot of work overnight. Gary poured over the data with, with Nick. He had to, he actually talked to Sean Buer, uh on the Challenge of the Americas Facebook page after qualifying on pole uh, for Sunday. Say, man, they did a lot of work. It was like it was like being back in his car racing days. The amount of data they worked over. Firestone ends up winning uh, win the pole, and then David got the pre-final win as well. He was challenged more in the pre-final. As guys were moving forward, you know, Jimmy McNeil was moving forward. He had some some challenges. Woods moved forward a bunch of spots. But uh, but Firestone came out of the gate good on Sunday, winning both the qualifying and the pre-final. It was, it was strong. Well, as you said, Firestone was a new name up front. Also, Neil Joseph, Jason Campbell, they mm-hmm. qualified second and third, putting Woods back and forth in the session. And it was, again, only nine hundredths of a second separating the top three in qualifying. So it was a really tight session. And again, the prefinal really tight. A lot of drivers up there in the lead pack. And Firestone, again, was able to hold off everybody uh, in the prefinal. But the main was a a, a different story for everyone. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, Jimmy McNeil was kind of the guy on the move. Ben Schirmerhorn actually got a really good start uh, and and slotted into, uh, I think, second early on. Uh, yeah, McNeil was moving though, and he was able to get by Schirmerhorn, and then eventually was able to get by uh, uh, by Firestone for the lead early on. David by lap number four, and at that point, Jimmy, listen, we've watched Jimmy race for how much? What fifteen years? If not, it's, it, that guy that has always been up front, especially one in the Masters categories, he's been so good. Uh, he, there was a time where he was doing, you know. Masters one year shifter, and then he'd go back to the S one class, the Pro Shifter class, to, to dial himself back up. Uh, he's been away from the car a little bit, but man, when he uh, when he got things dialed in on Sunday, he was good to go for sure. Yeah, he had that thing set up, uh, running perfectly, ran fast lap in the race. It was certainly able to pull away, especially with everybody kind of behind him fighting for the second spot early on once he got into the lead. Uh, and so all that fighting along with the fast r- laps of the race was able to get him away out to the lead and score his, uh, his first challenge in America's victory. Yeah. And no doubt about it. Uh, and a really good run for Neil Joseph, as David said, qualified in the top three, ends up on the podium, P2 in the CRG. Woods coming back, uh, ends up third. So the day was not all for naught for him. He was uh, he was pretty happy with P3. He's going to have probably the point lead going into, to, I believe that maybe, the well, we'll look at the points. It'll be interesting. He's going to be close. Uh, but I expect he'll lead into Cal Speed. Uh, Jones, another top five uh, from the tail of the field again. He had trouble in the pre-final. And I, again, I don't, did you remember what happened in the pre-final when he stopped on the racetrack, Dave? That one was a, a carburation issue. Okay. Uh, he he had a good start, was running, and then was, um, I believe, near the top five. And uh, uh, dirt and a carburetor kind of uh, yeah. slowed, shuffled you're, off the engine. So You're right. No luck there. 
No, no luck whatsoever. <laughs> so he started. He, I had to say he started actually at the very, very back of the, of the seventeen cart grid. The guy actually right in front of him stalled uh, at the line. He had to do this big jump to the outside. Mike's really good off the line. Was able to get rolling. And I want to say he was up. Was it around ninth or tenth? I think at the end of the opening lap, he was uh, on a tear trying to come forward. Yeah, at least uh, I believe he was top ten by the time they yeah. cleared the opening lap, and then all the sh- all the uh, fighting for the second spot allowed him to close in even closer and uh, make some early moves to get even closer, and then again ended up uh, finishing fourth ahead of Shermerhorn with uh, uh, Firestone getting pushed back all the way to sixth uh, in the main event. So, uh, uh, looking at the points, though, Jimmy McNeil actually leads the points by three. He does by three over Kevin Woods. Wow. And again, that some of that comes down to where you you know in the pre-final fast laps. Obviously, the fast laps are worth a lot. Pre-final, not a ton of points in the pre-final, but enough that c- it can make some changes. So there you go. I proven wrong, McNeil, your point leader coming to uh, Calspe, which is interesting for sure. Uh, David, that what I really like about this category is a lot of different guys able to find speed. Like if you look at the top five: Woods, George, McNeil, Firestone, Jones, Joseph, and Schumerhorn. All so. Yeah, so it ends up being seven different guys in the top five uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of both day, uh, days of racing. So there's a lot of guys in, in the fight for a championship here for sure. Well, just the top ten, top eleven. Uh, you look back in in the in the if you look at the points, Calvin Chen, a uh, former champion, he's back in eleventh. Jason Campbell uh, was in the top ten all weekend long. Uh, Terry Lawrence uh, wasn't quite there, but we know he has the ability to be quick. Um, <laughs> he said he needs to get in shape. We know, we know how right that now. goes. I mean, come on. We know how it goes. We do. That's part of being a master's and driver. T- yeah, and Terry's a top five guy from the Supernats. We know that he can make it happen in, in Masters. He he was at, l- at the lunch break on, on Saturday. He just told me straight up. Uh, actually, it was on Sunday. He just said, I'm just so out of shape right now, <laughs> which is good. I love that. It's honesty. But if he gets in shape... Lawrence will be back in the fight for sure. Well, and, and the good thing is at least you know the problem because a lot of people struggle and they don't know the problem. Yeah. You know, we know the problem. We're out of shape. We don't, we, we don't get it. So, so that's, that's, that's a first step. I agreed. Agreed. All right, folks. Uh, another break of the action here on this EKN debrief episode number 62. When we get back on the other side, we're going to talk senior rock, masters rock and junior rock. Stay with us. More to come here on the EKN radio network. Looking for that extra edge? Comet Racing Engines is your answer. The engine service program from Comet Kart Sales has been winning from coast to coast at all levels and different forms of the sport. Lead engine builders Mark Harrison and Gary Lawson have decades of karting experience, providing racers the power to reach the top step of the podium. Comet Racing Engines continually perform track and dyno tests to provide their customers with the cutting edge in engine performance. Comet specializes in Yamaha KT100, IAMI Swift, IAMI X30, IAMI Leopard, and Rock engines. Trackside and customer support are the cornerstones of the Comet Racing Engines business, ensuring each and every customer receives personal attention and the help they need to achieve the best results. Engine rentals are available at all the events that Comet attends in 2018, including WKA, SCUSA, USPKS, and the Route 66 Sprint Series. Contact the Comet team today at CometCartsales.com or by calling 317-462-3413. If you're looking to step up your engine program, send it to Comet Racing Engines. 
the first round of the fastest-growing Rock Cup program in the U.S., the Challenge of the Americas, is already in the books. So get out your calendar and mark off the final two dates on the schedule. It's the program's 13th season and year three of our Rock Focus, and the kickoff to 2020 in Tucson was exciting. The field will be even bigger for the next stop of the series at Cal Speed Karting in Fontana on the February 21-23 to weekend, and the finale at Sonoma in NorCal Wine Country on March 27-29 to is shaping up to be the biggest races of the three. Do not miss it. Our classes include Micro, Mini, Junior, Senior, and Masters Rock, our multi-manufacturer 100cc Junior, Senior, and Masters categories, and our well-supported Rock Shifter and Rock Shifter Masters program. We're by far the largest shifter program in the West, with 56 unique competitors and an average of 32 shifter drivers in just two categories last winter. There were 35 Rock Shifters in Tucson, and more are expected for CalSpeed in February. Prizes include tickets to the massive Rock Super Final in Italy and the Rock the Rio event in Las Vegas. Event 2 is set for February 21-23, to so head to the series website at challengecarding.com and get registered so you can join us in Fontana. Let's rock! Welcome back to the EKN Radio Network. It's episode 62 of the EKN Debrief as we report on the opening round of the Challenge of the Americas, rounds 1 and 2 actually at Muscleman Honda Circuit in Tucson, Arizona. Rawls and Performance Group sponsoring our race report for this edition of the podcast. David, let's jump into the Senior Rock category. Not a huge field. Eight drivers actually running throughout the weekend. Hopefully we'll see more when we get to uh, to Cal Speed. But a couple of names, I think, come into the forefront, one of them being Jake Drew. Yeah, we knew Jake Drew was going to be one of the contenders going into the weekend, being a two-time winner last year. Uh, this year, now on the Comp Cart chassis, last year was a different brand. But uh, Jake uh, certainly has the, uh, the the speed and, and quickness to be uh, among a contender everywhere he goes uh, and certainly showed that Saturday as he was able to sweep uh, the opening round of the series. Uh, I think one of the key factors, though, was the uh, performance or lack thereof of Oliver Calvo, uh, a pre-final, uh, an engine issue as they were doing the warm-up lap, uh, put him off into uh, pit lane. And then starting from the back in the final, tried uh, a little bit too aggressive move uh, on the opening lap, resulting in contact, and essentially drove off into the pit lane. So zero laps completed for Oliver Calvo after qualifying. Yeah, Oliver running with uh, Greg Bell and Leading Edge Motorsports on the Praga, and they actually posted a photo to Facebook uh, after that pre-final. He sucked a rock right into the reed, and so stuck the reed open. Didn't go all the way to the motor, but just had the reed pinched open. So that's what took him out of the pre-final. He starts eighth in the uh, in the main opening lap, great opening lap, goes to P3 and tries to go to P2 at the end of the straightaway in turn number 11 on the opening circuit. Probably didn't need to do that. Could have hung out and relaxed, made the move in there, activated the front bumper, goes off track. And as you said, David, at that point in the main, just elected just to pull off because he was well off the racetrack and pulled into the scale line. So tough one for Oliver. But with Oliver out of the action, Dave, that really just allowed Jake Drew to pull away and score the victory. Yeah, able to pull away, score the uh, the victory over uh, senior rookie Liam Lech uh, in the FA cart uh, with uh, Canadian Griffin Dowler completing the podium on the Tony cart, Bajoy Garg in fourth, and Ryan Martin on the CRG in fifth. 
I thought Letch was a pretty good story, David, because you and I talked about him in the Outlap Preview podcast before we came. One of the junior drivers moving up to senior, and man, he he didn't flinch whatsoever, did he? No, Letch Letch uh, certainly has uh, began his senior career with a strong performance uh, for the weekend overall, uh, earning two podium finishes, uh, as we'll talk about on Sunday. Uh, so to be able to run alongside uh, Drew and Calvo all weekend long, certainly going to build uh, uh, the momentum moving forward in 2020. Yeah, let's move to Sunday. And, and really, it came down to uh, a, a two-driver battle, not even so much a battle. Uh, Calvo, of course, trying to redeem himself after the issues on Saturday, qualifies on pole with the Praga. Uh, he ends up winning the pre-final as well in the main event, jumps out into the lead. Jake Drew p- comes up. He starts to put the pressure on, was right on the rear bumper for the longest time, but Calvo never flinched at all, Dave, and that's what I thought was really interesting because I was just waiting for Drew to try it somewhere, but it just seemed like, you know, obviously Jake's a veteran driver now. He was right behind Oliver. It was, you know, I think you and I both figured, okay, these guys are going to push away, and then we're going to see a battle over the last couple laps. Well, it really didn't play out that well for for Jake over the 22-lapper because in the end, in the, second, the last kind of quarter of that race, uh, Oliver was able to pull enough of a gap where we had no challenge whatsoever with the fi- final couple of circuits, and Oliver kind of just walked his way to the win. Yeah, Drew was quick early, re- uh, recorded the fast lap of the race on lap seven. But again, Calvo had that late race pace that was a yeah. little bit better than Jake. So as you said, was able to to establish enough of a gap where Drew wasn't able to challenge and, and uh, again, led all 22 laps for uh, for the victory. Uh, Drew ends up in second. I'm sure he has the point lead right now with Calvo having no points from the opening day. That's going to be his drop as we head to try to get to Sonoma in March to see who wins the championships. Uh, Liam Letch, as David said, another podium run for him. Great job for the, the rookie senior. But Joey Gard showed good speed as well, and Ryan Martin rounding out the top five. David, let's go to Masters Rock. And <laughs> the interesting about Masters Rock, and it's such a good field, Three three of the guys in the top five all weekend long are three former champions in the program as well. Billy Cleveland, Derek Wang, and Eric Jackson. So it, this is obviously a stacked field in terms of, of talent and, and success at the challenge. Not to mention the last three actual champions, the Cleveland being 2017, Jackson 2018, Derek Wang yep. in 2019. So uh, these are not uh, former champions. These are like current <laughs> champions <laughs> that uh, everybody has to to compete with and them competing against one another. So yeah, it was uh, it was great to see the fight uh, throughout the in the category throughout the weekend. Uh, but Nick DeGraff is one of those that uh, is trying to put himself on that list of champions and uh, was Agreed. among yeah. one of the quick drivers all weekend long. Yeah, 14 in the class, and and DeGraff came out of the gate strongly on Saturday, ends up getting the pole position on the VME cart. Uh, Billy Cleveland, though, looked really good all weekend long. He just had things kind of handled, I think, in, in terms of setup, and it was just strong. He wins the pre-final. Uh, essentially, David, top five, got rolling, go green. Everybody settles in, and, and they really kind of remain static for the entire event. Billy Cleveland gets the win to start the season off with a victory. DeGraff strong, though. said He's in the hunt for sure. He ends up uh, P2. Derek Wang uh, in third. Eric Jackson, as we've talked about already. And I think another guy you got to put into the fight, Rock the Rio winner, Tim Meyer. I think he's definitely going to be in the championship battle. He ends up P5 uh, on, on Saturday. All in all, uh, not a lot of excitement in the main event, but the five guys we expect to fight for the championship right there. And they were right there again on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graf was able to secure the uh, top uh, top lap in the, the qualifying session. But again, Billy Cleveland scoring the pre-final victory 
uh, and again, another kind of heated battle in that uh, heat race. Uh, but the start of the main event uh, kind of signal uh, shook everything up there uh, in turn four. Well, let's let's talk about that. It's interesting because from where we were in the tower, in turn four, Billy Cleveland with the lead early, Derek Wang slots in the second, and he makes a move to the inside of turn four. It's it's a corner where you're coming out of the two three combination, which is a little right left flick kind of thing. And depending on how good you get out of that corner, sets you up to, can I make a dive move into turn four? Because there's a lot of room in that corner. We always see guys coming from a length or two length back, dive into the inside of a guy because a fast lap is a wide entry, you know, hit the later apex to get out of that corner well over to five. Well, and and Billy Cleveland even told us this, you know, all of a sudden we see it happen. We go to, we go to turn number four. Wang goes deep into the inside, and they, as they kind of come back at us coming around the corner, all of a sudden Cleveland's four wheels off in the, in the gravel. Immediately, you say to yourself, must have been some contact, right? Something had to happen there. Uh, and I'm, I'm waiting for a call. It, it, we hear it a little bit, of it, no contact. And then Billy Cleveland told us he just, I think he just got caught off guard, and, and, uh, and, and um, Wang just kind of, Caught him off guard and off he went to the track because he was in the he was out in the out in the marbles a little bit. Totally caught me off guard for sure. And again, like you said, the entry to that corner is is tricky because there's so much pavement on the outside yeah. that you don't typically use. But so it, it's almost and then the, the corner just increases and increases and then boom, all of a sudden you're on the exit point without uh, even knowing it. And and so yeah, I think it was just. Uh, that rare mistake that that Billy made that uh, opened the door for Derek and, and Derek took advantage and and Billy unfortunately uh, you know probably just helped save the cart and not make contact went into the dirt a little bit more than he should have and kind of just grabbed him and pulled him out there so uh, yeah a, a rare mistake by by Cleveland but he was able to come back and and regroup uh, in the 22 laps that he had in front of him. Uh, in the end, Derek Wang uh, was out front. It's not like anybody could catch him. He had everything was perfect. He just started pulling away. He ends up with the victory. Uh, Nick DeGraff actually into second place. So back to back runner up finishes for Nick DeGraff and Billy Cleveland, as you said, David, knifing his way back up to the field to get third. Jackson and Meyer fourth and fifth once again. Here's your five guys that are going to battle it out for the championship in this category. Wang wants to get it. He wants to defend his championship. You got DeGraff trying to be that one guy there in the top four who hasn't really got that title yet. He'd like to make it happen as well. Won the streets of Lancaster last year. And I think DeGraff's got a lot of momentum right now. He was running in the 100cc class too. I like the way this this, this particular group is, is uh, kind of shaken out because we got a bunch of really good guys. Yeah, and let's not forget the SoCal Masters that were probably going to show up uh, in Cal Speed. So uh, that, that might shake things up a little bit. And also what to watch will be Derek Wang. Uh, he was uh, kind of lingering from some yeah. some rib issues all weekend long. Uh, again, like you said, was able to get away out in the main event early. And uh, that kind of, I think, helped ease the pain a little bit because he wasn't challenged, even though DeGraff came on a little bit late. But uh, I think Wang was just able to to keep that pace up enough to to keep that gap over him. So we'll see if, if Derek's going to be able to, to heal over the next month uh, and be able to take on the, uh, the Cal Speed uh, facility. Yeah, I think that, Dave, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Is he going to take the entire month off to try to heal those ribs? Because we know that uh, a lot of grip down there at at, at Cal Speed, you got to pound the curbs in a couple of areas. Uh, it could be tough on him. We'll see if he if he does go on the mend. Uh, moving, David, into the Junior Rock category. And again, uh, uh, Junior Rock, 16 different drivers in the class. Let's talk a little bit about uh, 
Alex Berg coming out of the gate strongly. He actually qualified on pole for both of his races on Saturday. Uh, qualifies on pole, but definitely had somewhere to fight with him later on that day. Well, I think it was you who called out the Alex Berg scenario on our Outlap podcast, yeah. was it not? Yeah, yeah it was. I, yeah, yeah. So it was you who called Alex Berg. He was going to be a dark horse. Well, he technically really wasn't much of a dark horse because he was up front all weekend long. As you said, qualified on pole in qualifying. But uh, Enzo Deligny, last year's uh, uh, mini, mini rock champion, making his uh, junior debut, was among those that were right behind him. It was really a Ryan Perry motorsport battle all weekend yeah. long or all Saturday uh, with uh, with Berg. Deligny and uh, AJ Zarcone moving over to the uh, the team uh, for this event. Uh, all three were able to break away in the main events, uh, get away. It was really, though, Berg and Deligny that were uh, um, out front more. Uh, Zarcone kind of lost the, uh, the, the the lead draft and then uh, uh, the t- so left the top two to battle. It was a final lap pass, too, if I'm not mistaken. Berg was trying to run the defensive line a little bit, and I think opened the door just enough for Enzo Delini to come through, and, and Delini ended up with the victory. Berg slotted into second. Not and Berg was obviously not happy losing it on the final lap, but still a, a really good performance for him, and I think kind of a breakout in talking to his down Allenberg. It just seems like, you know what, from what happened last year to this year, I guess like a, a switch is flicked. He's just uh, more comfortable in the cart. And again, as you said, Ryan Perry Motorsports, one, two, three on the on the podium, very similar to what Gary Carlton was able to do with his GFC team and shifter. Uh, the RPM drivers, Delini, Berg, and Zarcone uh, sweep the podium on Saturday. Frankie Mossman uh, on, uh, I believe, is he on the, I think he was on an FA cart for the weekend. Mossman was in the, uh, ended up finishing in the fourth position. Macy Williams, a winner last year, ends up uh, P5 in the category as well. Yeah, Mossman over with uh, Nash Motorsport working with uh, Chris Freckleton all weekend long uh, on the FA cart. Uh, let's move into Sunday and uh, early Sunday, Enzo Delini. Obviously very strong, gets that win on Saturday. Got a lot of momentum, feeling really good about where they are cart-wise. The RPM guys have those Tony carts working well. He qualifies on the pole position, wins the pre-final. Main event though, David, a little bit different in the junior class because Frankie Mossman, who was pretty strong on Saturday, stepped it up one level on Sunday, was actually able to reel in Delaney and eventually took over the lead and, and the race win. Talk more about the, the race itself. Yeah, it looked like Delaney had the advantage all main event, but uh, as the race went on, Mossman was closing and closing and closing. You're like, yeah. oh, we're going to see a last lap shootout, and it is exactly what happened. Uh, Mossman got there, went to went on an attack uh, went the, when the white flag waved, uh, Deligny had held him off on turn one, but as they went into turn two, Enzo went wide to, to set up for the turn and Mossman just dove right inside, took over the position. And, uh, and from there was able to hold on uh, all the way to the checkered flag to, uh, to score the victory, his first at the challenge. And yeah, Dave, a tough place to get past on, especially on the final lap into turn number two. Cause when that happens, you totally lose the exit from the corner, right? Cause you can't turn in quick enough. And he was way late for turn number three. And really it gave Mossman enough of a gap that Enzo wasn't able to come back. Mossman, I think down the back straightaway, probably had about four or five cart lengths and was able to, to run to the flag unchallenged. Uh, so Delini gets second. Zarcoe ends up in third. Williams, another top five in the fourth spot. It was a tough one for Alex Berg because he actually qualified second, but was late getting off the grid for the pre-final. Now, what they did at Tucson, they allowed the drivers to have two 
uh, warm-up laps. It's one full warm-up lap and then a uh, and then a formation lap. Of course, guys forming up late in, late in the lap. Taylor Jocelyn told about the drivers meeting. You did not need to complete both laps. So what happened was was Burr got out so late he tried to catch back up, but he probably could have just waited for them to come back around. And I was talking to Taylor about that. He goes, "Yeah, I told him later that you probably could have just waited for them to come back around." Instead, in that pre-final, he was so far back, David, he's only able to get his way up into the 10th position, starts 10th, ends up coming back to 5th. Still a good run for Berg, but just that one little mistake of potentially not waiting uh, for the rest of the field to come by is what kind of hampered him, put him middle of the pack for the start of Sunday's race. Yeah, it could still come back to uh, to, to be a, a significant issue come points time we we will we'll so. see what happens but uh overall yeah. as you said you know be being able to drive up from 10th uh uh from where he was to to, to finish there was was solid so uh that's uh, that's i'm looking at the points they have the wrong points uh results so i'll have to uh message shelby because <laughs> i was i was gonna see how far back he is on points but they have it wrong so um yeah so it we'll see uh how that unfolds uh as the as the season goes along but to be able to drive from 10th to 5th was still solid all right folks another quick break in the action when we get back here on this race report brought to you by rollison performance group we're gonna go 100 cc senior master junior both mini and micro rock We'll wrap up this edition of the Race Report. EKN debrief number 62. Stay with us. More to come. In racing, experience is priceless. Franklin Motorsports is a leader in the karting industry with over 50 years of combined karting experience, and we can provide you with everything you need to go racing. With a large online product selection, select track support events, and a wide variety of shop services, Franklin Motorsports is your complete karting source. Check out our online store at franklincart.com where all our products are just a mouse click away. We ship daily to ensure that you get your order as quickly as possible and we are constantly adding new products to our online store. We specialize in IME engines, tillet seats, ceramic product line, OTK products, Briggs and Stratton engines, and of course, our championship winning Merlin chassis. In our online store, you'll find a variety of items to fit your karting needs. Franklin Motorsports is also known for our wide variety of services and is home to Innovative Engine Works by FMS, our in-house engine service department. Frame straightening, cart prep, and dyno testing are all services offered regularly at Franklin Motorsports. For all things karting, visit franklincart.com. Do you want to drive the best? Drive a CRG. Our countless race wins and championships prove this fact, including taking the KZ Finals at the Scusa Super Nationals and the CIK World Championships in both 2016 and 2017. Our material is second to none. After years of independent American importers, CRG is now managed directly by the factory and run out of our state-of-the-art headquarters in Texas. CRG Nordam is the American arm of the CRG factory in Italy, and we're serious about success. We stock a wide variety of parts in all of our chassis, from the CRG Hero for the Mini categories, to the Heron for Tag Race, the Road Rebel for Gearbox competition, and the new FS4, which has been designed specifically for American four-cycle Briggs racing. If you're ready to step up to the national level, do it with a factory race team that competes across the USA. CRG Nordam is a full factory effort 
with the best personnel and the finest equipment. We're serious about winning, and you should be too. Welcome back to the EKN Radio Network. Uh, Rob Howard alongside David Cole. EKN debrief number 62 as we uh, report on the Rock Cup USA Challenge of the Americas opener in Tucson. David, let's uh, jump into 100cc senior. And I really, the bottom line was it was all over Calvo all weekend long. Very similar to what we saw with Hunter Pickett in the senior shifter rock category was Calvo in the senior 100cc division, essentially leading every single lap uh, both days. Uh, nearly yeah. every single lap, both days. Uh, Saturday was a complete sweep, uh, leading both pre-final and final wire to wire. Uh, Colby Dubato, defending champion, was right there in second. Uh, just did not have the pace to keep up close. Uh, Toby Longnecker uh, making the jump up from, I believe he was junior last year, uh, moving into senior this year, uh, running third on the Illuminos. It was uh, a kind of a good fight uh, behind the top two. So Longnecker was third with Everest Fedler on the comp cart in fourth and Jackson Dunn on the comp cart in fifth. Yeah, the two uh, um, forward direction motorsports drivers, uh, Everest Fedler and Jackson Dunn out of Colorado, looking really good fourth and fifth. They were, there was some good scrapping uh, outside the the top five or top two there for, for a majority of the run. On Sunday, Cowboy just kept coming. It was working. Uh, again, he and Dubato under the leading edge motorsports tent. Cowboy qualifies pole, uh, wins the prefinal, uh, essentially uh, walks away to, to score the win. But, David, talk a bit about the battle uh, at the very end uh, because – and I guess I, I don't want to say that Cowboy walked away because Colby Dubato was essentially there with him for a majority of the race, kind of, but not close enough to, to challenge, but close enough to stay with him. But really the guy that put the show on in that, in that last race was, was Toby Longnecker. Well, actually, Dubato was able to challenge and take away the lead for just a little just bit. Just a time, yeah. Which which allowed Longnecker to close in, and that that's what made it a three-driver battle as we took the white flag. Again, Longnecker started at the back, had an issue in the pre-final, so came from 15th on the grid all the way up to run run down the top two. Uh, but again, that, uh, that fight between Calvo and Dubato as we came up to the white flag kind of helped that out. Uh, but again, yeah, Longnecker was able to... Uh, to to, to mix it up and get in there and fight. Uh, it was kind of that turn four to turn five area where you, you kind of go two wide, three wide inside, outside, kind of moving all around trying to find position. Longnecker was almost, almost had that lead for, for a brief second. Uh, but Calvo was able to squeeze away and get it. And then, uh, and Longnecker was able to beat out Dubato to the line for the second spot. You know what I love about turn five, David, is if you do run the defensive line on the inside, and you try to carry a lot of speed then you're going to you're going to push wide. We saw a bunch of guys go wide and into kind of the rum, you know there's like the the the, the dirt and the grit on the outside of that there, you know, the, the tired clag that gets out there and guys will almost push off the racetrack. And again, the other, if a guy's on the inside, you can go outside and it's a pretty easy over under as long as the guy doesn't break check you a little bit. And we've seen a lot of, we saw a lot of guys get a better run out of 5 and beat you into the S's, right? Cuz then it's the right hand into turn 6, 7, 8, 9. And again, another another deal with with the minute the leader starts to go in the defensive line and they start battling at all, uh, guy from third or whatever position is going to be able to get up in the fight. Overall, I thought Longnecker did a tremendous job working his way back to second. Yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing to watch uh, certain carts go through five because just just even a couple feet offline, it was almost like you you hit water. <laughs> and, and the yeah. cart just just it almost didn't want to turn at all. And even one cart went, I think off-wheeling, uh, off-roading for uh, the entire S's section because of 
of getting wide at, at the exit of turn five and, and jumping curves and jumping the jumps that are there for the dirt bikes and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, right. So it was, a bit, uh, it was a bit ex- uh, exciting once, uh, once a cart got off, off the uh, actual racing line. Now, not the race winner, not on the podium, but I think one of the great runs of uh, on uh, on Sunday, David, was Eddie Shimon, who started back in the twelfth position, was able to work his way forward, did a pretty good job coming forward, made a lot of great passes, kind of just bought, you know took his time. It's twenty two lap distance, right? Took his time, worked his way forward. He started twelfth, ends up getting up into the uh, the fourth spot for Shimon. Good run for him, and then Baden Dunn as well, another one of the the, the Dunn brothers working his way into fifth on the comp card. Overall, uh, a pretty good run. Dunn started ninth. Ends up P five. That battle right there, right fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh was pretty solid one. Yeah, so seven different drivers in the top five over the two days. So uh, a very competitive category. But again, Calvo winning both the main both main events uh, to earn three on the weekend. Certainly a solid uh, start to twenty twenty for him. We talked about the increase in numbers in the Masters 100cc class last year. It was just uh, Jimmy Gregory at the first two races, and uh, myself and Calvin Chen uh, jumped into the into the battle at Sonoma uh, along with Craig Yeski on the on the Sunday to have four drivers, seven in total on the weekend here in 100cc, which is great. Really, it came down to to a couple guys, Tim Meyer and Nick DeGraff, Steve Brucker. Uh, a young driver who uh, has over 200 pounds fully suited, so he gets to run the Masters class as well for JH Motorsports. Those three drivers were really primi- primarily in the fu- in the fight, but in the end, it ended up being Meyer and DeGraff. Yes, it was uh, all three drivers fighting for it uh, throughout the weekend. Meyer was essentially the driver to beat, though, on Saturday. Meyer earning fast time and qualifying, winning the pre-final, and then again, earning the uh, complete sweep on Saturday with the main event victory. DeGraff just not able to get by him on, on the Saturday uh, main event, uh, ended up finishing second on the Ital cart. And as you said, Brucker right there in third. Uh, Dana Estes finishing fourth in the VME cart and Ronaldo Neves in the comp cart finishing fifth. Interesting that Nick DeGraff, David, going back and forth, who was swapping carts and then swapping suits as well. So he was in the VME cart for the uh, the Masters Rock class. He was on the ITAL cart in the 100cc class. And actually, true to true to sponsorship form, swapped his suits out during the podium between, between races to make sure he had the right suit on. Well, not only that, he swapped engines from Saturday to Sunday. Saturday, he actually ran the VLR engine and then swapped over to the IME engine oh, really? on Sunday, which... Yeah, it, caught, it kind of caught me off guard because I was talking to uh, um, uh, somebody about the uh, the 100cc VLR engine, how it's very comparable to the IME engine, in the at least in the master category. We've seen the two engines really mix well together in that category. So it was strange to see him swap over, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe the swap over gave him like a hundredth of a second quicker because it seemed <laughs> to prove, prove to be a little bit better on, on Sunday. Uh, DeGraff ended up with his third uh, pole position of the weekend, swept the poles in the Masters class, ends up pole on Sunday. Uh, we mentioned that Stephen Brucker running with with, these, with the guys, and he was right there for you know a majority of the time battling back and forth, top three. It was actually a top four with Estes early on Saturday. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Brucker actually, David, ended up winning the pre-final as well, started on the pole for the main event. But in the end, uh, talk a little bit about the way that shook down. Yeah, as you said in the pre-final, it was uh, taking advantage of that turn five, turn four, turn five situation. Brucker yeah. was able to to take advantage of DeGraff and Meyer battling it out uh, to able to be able to score the pre-final win. But in the final, uh, just wasn't able to keep pace with uh, DeGraff and Meyer, and kind of fell off the draft a little bit. Uh, 
but uh, Negraf Negraf Degraf was able to uh, to come come across with the lead with two laps to go and uh, hold off into the end to score uh, the victory over Meyer. Uh, Bruckner ended up finishing again in third with Estes and Neves in fourth and fifth. Yeah, DeGraff really bided his time the whole time, didn't he? He just sat right behind Meyer for a majority of that race, just waiting. They were pushing away. It was just a simple deal where it's 22 laps. Once we get down to lap 20, we'll go to work. And as you said, DeGraff comes through for a big victory. Uh, Meyer second, Brucker in third. 100cc junior class, four drivers. They actually ran in the same race group as the 100cc masters group. Uh, Alex Berg, essentially the guy to beat all weekend long in the 100cc program, swept every session. Qualified on pole, won the pre-final, unchallenged in the main event. Jacob Hoover, Hoover was with them early and then would slowly fade off mid-race and, and then Berg would be able to stretch away. Hoover on the Burrell Art Machine ends up in second. Andrew Chapman in third on the comp cart on Saturday, David. Uh, Kiefer, Pete, and Chapman were going at it a bit uh, for that third position, but then Pete retired early, so the podium was essentially locked at that point. Yeah, we didn't see exactly what happened uh, there on that final lap. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, again, retired early, uh, and was unable to, uh, to finish the race. So essentially setting up the podium, as you said, again, on Sunday, it was all Berg fast time and qualifying, winning the pre-final and winning the final, both unchallenged, uh, as they fought behind him, uh, for the second spot, uh, Pete was able to, uh, to rebound from that DNF, uh, on, on Saturday to, uh, score the second spot. Uh, again, another, uh, or might have been, I'm sorry, it was Pete and Hoover fighting for second uh, and with a last lap battle, and uh, something happened we didn't see. Uh, Hoover retired, uh, giving Pete the position with uh, Chapman in third. Moving to the mini-rock category, and again, uh, just an, uh, not, not a lot of drivers in the category, four in the mini-class. I think we had three in the micro. Christian Cameron and Tristan Young were kind of the two drivers that were battling it out for the race win in the, in the mini-rock category. Uh, Cameron qualified on the pole on Saturday, got the pre-final win. Uh, Cameron shuffled back a little bit early uh, in, the, in that main on lap number two. Uh, Young was able to fight it out actually with Nico Serfati because we had the uh, the the, uh, the minis and the micros battling together on track. Uh, Tristan Young ends up getting the win in mini. Day one, Alex Rontala in second, and again Christian Cameron getting third. Alex Chartier from uh, from Calgary, Alberta, on the Vami rounding out the top four on Sunday. It was actually interesting. Tristan Young actually came out of the gate strong on Sunday. David qualified on the pole, won the pre-final. But he and Cameron in the battle, again, in the main event, it was a shorter 16-lap main event for the drivers of Mini and Micro. And it was actually Cameron that came through with the victory. Yeah, Cameron was able to establish himself as a leader in the main event and then gradually pull away uh, from the rest of the field to uh, to score the victory. Uh, as you said, Young was second with uh, Ronaldo uh, earning another podium, this time in third uh, with uh, Alex Chartier in fourth. Uh, into the micro class again, they ran with Mini on the racetrack. Cypress Andrews from the Leading Edge Motorsports Formula K was super quick all weekend long. Qualified on the pole. Nico Sarfati, uh, part of the uh, the GFC Young Driver Development Program on that new GFC chassis, uh, he ends up winning the pre-final. Um, in the in the main, did did Sarfati actually win the main event? Or because I know yes. that he got the temp. Yeah, I thought he did, didn't he? Serfati won. You know. Yeah, he won the overall race. Uh, he was fighting again with the mini drivers uh, at the front, but uh, a, a 10 second penalty for advancing past the commitment cone 
before the start was given uh, was handed to Serfati. So it took away, again, the overall win and took away the micro win as well. Yeah, essentially, uh, they're late from the grid. It, it was weird in this in that start. Everybody kind of checked out the drivers, were, and they, they nobody could catch away. They actually had to wave them around again. Essentially, what happened was Serfati, Sir, Sir uh, they got past the commitment cone uh, where you've got to be in your in your grid spot, and he wasn't there yet. So he drove, after he got past that, he should have just slotted into position where he was. Instead, got up to his position, and it's a 10-second penalty. So a learning experience, a teaching moment for Serfati there. Uh, Drysdale, Kyle Drysdale ends up getting the win on the Nitro. Andrews finishes second and Sarfati in third. Uh, Sarfati out of the gate like a rocket, though, David, on Sunday. Again, qualified on pole, won the pre-final, but he ended up going out in the opening corner. We talked about the fact that there wasn't a lot of action in the opening circuit, in the opening corner, lot, not like the, the crazy action we saw in years past. Although in this particular race, Andrews, I can't remember if somebody got to the side of him, whatever it was, but in the end, he ended up being out in turn one. And then at that point, it was Serfati and Drysdale one two. Yeah, nothing much more he uh, they could do uh, f- for Cyprus uh, out early. And as you said, Serfati was uh, essentially battling with the mini drivers throughout the race, uh, with Drysdale uh, trailing there in second. I didn't get a chance to see the cart, but uh, I got to think probably something happened with the steering wheel because, if I'm not mistaken, Taylor Jocelyn walked. Uh, uh, walked Cypress back over to the medic, right? Because I think he, I think he's hurt his wrist a little bit uh, on that the uh, the incident in turn number one. Yeah, no, the cart looked fine. I didn't notice anything wrong with it okay. uh, as far as severe damage. So again, just uh, yeah, just some probably just some minor contact that uh, took him out and uh, and uh, not sure. Yeah, I don't believe uh, he was injured because he was there on the podium. Yeah, uh, the of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. At the end of the day, jumping around. So exactly playing football before that, right? Yep. All right, folks, one more break in the action when we come back after this. David Cole I'll wrap things up. We'll have a look at the Constructors' Championship, let you know which chassis won races, and then we'll have a look where we're going to be in the next uh, month on the EKN Trackside Live race calendar. In Las Vegas this past November, at the Rock the Real finale and the Scusa Super Nationals, Formula K reigned supreme. Daniel Formal drove his leading-edge motorsports Formula K Evo 3 to wins in the biggest races of the year proving the outright speed of the Formula K brand. And you can make Formula K your cart in 2020 by contacting your local dealer today. Atlanta Motorsports Park is the importer and distributor of the Formula K line, as well as the race-winning Praga chassis, and you can connect with your dealer through the AMP website. The new 2020 Formula K Monster Evo 3 is ready to ride and win, complete with IP Karting's new STRV brake system. Follow in the footsteps of Formal and steer your own Formula K to victory lane. If a Praga is more your style, the Dragon Evo 2 is the perfect choice for single-speed competition. Bolt on your IAMI X30, Vortex Rock, or Rotax Max, and go out and win. Atlanta Motorsports Park has both Formula K and Praga chassis in stock to support new dealers, and they have previous year models in their inventory available for racers who are looking to get a winning chassis at a discount. Head to atlantamotorsportspark.com slash karting to learn more about Formula K, Praga, and AMP's karting program. At Solo Kart USA, designing and manufacturing the most driver-friendly karts has been our goal from the very beginning. Design, build, test, and then race over and over and over until it's perfect. The result is a kart that gives you complete confidence knowing that the equipment can get the job done 
and you can focus on what separates every field in karting. Driver talent. How do you know how to tune your team's chassis if you're not driving it yourself? At Solo Kart USA, we drive our own carts and we race regularly. Solo Kart is our program and we race what we sell. Every lap we turn at tracks all over the country provides information and feedback that we use in further developing our chassis. After four years of dedicated testing and competition, our Solo Kart USA program is exactly where we want it. It's ready for you. Louis Westover put our Solo Kart SK2 on the X30 Senior Podium at the opening round of the Supercart USA Winter Series in January, topping 50 other drivers. And our own Adam Pettit followed suit with a second-place finish in X30 Master. Check out www.solocartusa.com to learn more and break away from the pack. Welcome back to the ECAN Radio Network. Time to wrap up this edition of the Debrief, where we talk about the challenge of the Americas opener from Tucson, Arizona. Uh, David, let's just let's jump into the wrap-up notes. Bottom line is dominating performance for Hunter Pickett and GFC in the Shifter Senior Rock category. Just a tremendous week, swept all the sessions, and of course, GFC one, two, three on Saturday. Yeah, certainly dominating performance. Uh, impressive. Four wins now in the last two challenge events at Tucson. So Pickett uh, is four for four in the last uh, two events there. Uh, certainly uh, a solid mark to set uh, as we move into the new year. Uh, it could have been four wins for Calvo had not been for that DNF in the main event on Saturday in Senior Rock. Uh, Calvo, a very impressive uh, weekend with Leading Edge Motorsports in the Praga chassis, earning three of the four vict- uh, three wins in the four cat four main events that he took part in uh, yeah. very solid performance by him i was really impressed i know you were as well david by the drivers that graduated up a class obviously enzo delini and aj zarcone looking really good in the junior category william miller a podium uh, in shifter senior after winning the rock junior championship last year guys that moved up classes were very impressive and it, it bodes well for what they're going to be able to do in their first year in this next level yeah, really cool to see Ferguson up there uh, in the Shifter Senior Rock uh, podium, yeah. uh, fighting it out with Jake French. Uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, how he progresses uh, moving over to Cal Speed. Certainly a different uh, uh, track to uh, to compete on than than his Tucson. And then we know when he goes to home to uh, Sonoma that he'll he'll have the confidence there to certainly run up front. Yeah, a lot of track time there as well. Awesome numbers in the 100cc categories. Of course, that big growth in the master's class, the debut of the junior class at four. We talk about numbers breeding numbers. People are going to see this and go, okay, that's awesome. If I go to Cal Speed with my 100cc machine, I'm not going to be racing against one or two guys. It's going to be 10 or whatever. Maybe I'll add to that. It'll be 8, 9, 10. I think we're going to see more growth there as well. And the bottom line, David, all the categories very likely to see an increase in numbers when we get to Cal Speed and then again, another bump when we get up to Sonoma. How about you go through the Constructors' Championship for us? Uh, let us know which which chassis were able to get some wins. It was a very diverse weekend, certainly for victories uh, throughout the 10 categories. So essentially 10 uh, winners on the weekend. Uh, 11 different chassis scoring victories uh, over the two days. Uh, Tony Cart leading the way with four. Uh, the GFC chassis winning three, obviously two with Pickett. Uh, and then one with Nico in the micro rock division. Uh, Oliver Calvo accounting for all three victories for the Praga cart. Uh, FA cart winning two. Cosmic cart winning two as well. 
Aluminos comp cart, CRG, Ital cart, Nitro cart, and VME cart all winning <laughs> one race. Wow. Yeah, no doubt, right? That's a lot. We'll see what happens in the next event, folks. Now it's time to wrap things up with the EKN Trackside Live race calendar presented today uh, by PSL Karting. The 2019 season marks the 25th anniversary for PSL Karting and North America's importer and distributor for the legendary Burrell Art brand. They'll move into the 26th season here in 2020. PSL Karting is your complete source for all things Burrell, providing this top quality product both through their expansive dealer network or through their own pslkarting.com online store. Arrive and Drive programs supported by PSL's experienced staff and in-house engine program are available for all major U.S. and Canadian events. When you're ready to win, call PSL Karting or visit one of our dealers. All right, David, let's wrap things up. Our Ecan Trackside Live program, of course, presented again this year by Cooper Tires. Uh, what, we got a week and a half or just over a week, and I'll be heading south to the Scusa Winter Series finale, rounds three and four, down at AMR Miami Homestead Motorplex, presented by MG Tires in Homestead, Florida. Counterclockwise direction. We're going to spin it around and go in a different direction this particular time. So uh, it should be pretty interesting. And of course, Dave, talk a little bit about the next event we go to that you and I go to, February 21, 22, 23. Yeah, I'm going to have to sit here in this cold weather, <laughs> no sun whatsoever. I think that's what kind of sparked my my attitude throughout the weekend was actually seeing the sun. <laughs> You're Something happy. You don't, You're pretty happy. I, I'm telling you, they said January is probably one of the, like, it's been one of the worst months as far as sun exposure here in Michigan. So uh, it was good to see the sun. Hopefully we'll see more of it in February. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, hopefully we'll see more sun uh, at the Cal Speed Karting Facility than what we saw last year at the Challenge the Americas event. Uh, this year, February 21 through 23rd, uh, this will be rounds three and four of the program in Fontana, California. Again, hopefully there'll be no rain. It'll be all sunshine and we'll all be happy. That's what we're looking for. All right, folks, that wraps things up for this particular edition of the debrief episode 62. We had a great time at the opening round of the challenge of the Americas, a 10% growth for the event at Tucson and big numbers expected for both Cal speed and Sonoma. It's a really solid program as always. David and I enjoyed getting out there. Great racing too, man. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, when, I, when I start raising the voice and getting fired up, I know things are going good. And, and we saw a, a number of really good races. And we expect more when we get to Cal Speed because it's a racy track as well. Thank you so much, folks, for joining us here on the EKN Radio Network. Please uh, remember, all our content comes out of the EKN Radio Network first, the streaming 24-7 karting radio station. Then we'll turn it into podcast form. You can get it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and of course, you can always listen on podbean.com. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. On behalf of David Cole, my name's Rob Howden. Bye for now. <laughs>